This week, we're getting kinky and asking all the sex questions you've been too embarrassed to ask. Let's get into it. So I think this week we covered the sex ed that everyone needs in their life. We're asking the questions that we might have been ashamed to ask or that our mamas was not going to tell us or that our teachers were not equipped to tell us. So, okay, when Chanel initially said that she wanted someone to come on the show and talk about sex, I was so worried that this woman was going to get on here and talk about like, well, she does cover kinks and fetishes, but I thought she was going to be like talking whips and positions. And I'm like, oh, Lord, um, I don't know if I can I can do this episode, but it really was so informational. And really, she she breaks down sexual wellness, the importance of knowing your body. Um, and to be honest, so many people just grow up seeing sex from TV or porn and kind of have these perceptions of what that should look like. And in reality, it's really not like that. And because of it, people just really don't know what works for them because they're trying to duplicate things that they've seen. Things that actors, paid actors are literally doing. But the other side of that are a group of people who grew up learning that sex was bad and dirty and nasty and are now like in their 20s and are sometimes like myself breaking away from that, um, those beliefs and that thought pattern and are like, nervous and confused and scared and unlearning even you know we have a wide range of listeners but even folks who have been doing this for years and years they they will benefit from this conversation as well because from what we've learned is people go well into late in life and never figure out what pleasure means to them we're all about people living their best life. And a part of that is also having quality sexual interactions and sexual wellness and understanding your body. You know, a, a lot of folks didn't get the basic comprehensive sex ed, but I think most people understand the body parts, how to make a baby, how to not make a baby at this point. Not everybody, you know, maybe we need to revisit that too. <laughs> But at least Google can break that down for you. But these conversations are always had. Yeah. And I think they're really important, especially for women. Um, when you look at stuff like the pleasure gap and how many women, I don't want to be too graphic, but do not experience the height of pleasure from traditional intercourse and things of that nature that you might have just been taught or you might not know that there are other options. I'm just trying to be PG. <laughs> Keep it PG. This episode um, might not. But um, no, I, no, I think this is a very refreshing take on, on sex and wellness. Because even when pe- folks talk to their friends about their sex life, they're not talking about these type of conversations. And you, you know what? Let me filter myself a little bit too. But <laughs> you know, our mamas do listen to this. Um, and so we're going to let that. I'm going to tell my mom to skip this episode and go to the next one and she'll be okay. No, your, your mommy and her friends, they, they might enjoy listening to this one too. Uh -uh. (laughs) But you know what? That actually is wrong of me. That actually is wrong of me because I'm supposed to support the life and pleasure of women through all cycles and phases of life. But my mom can listen to somebody else's podcast. (laughs) I'll send her over to Angela Yee and them. that's that's next level okay that's not this episode today but it is entertaining 
But okay, before we say too much, so before Chanel and I say too much, we're going to let the expert do the talking and get into this interview. So we are so excited to have with us today, Dr. Shamika Thorpe. She is an award-winning sexuality educator and researcher at the University of Kentucky. She obtained her PhD from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro in community health education. Her research focuses on the sexual well-being of Black women using sex-positive and intimate justice frameworks. Dr. Thorpe strives to make research relevant for Black communities by integrating sex research and community health education. Dr. Shamika, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I, I want to say, like, I was a little nervous to have you on the show, um, just because, like, I never had just, like, these just, like, frank, candid conversations, um, especially, like, growing up in my household. So I wanted to to kind of get your opinion on, like, what those conversations should look like. Like, how do you go about teaching children about sex ed or if that should be in school if that should start at home could you just give a little insight on that yeah I think so often like people think it has to be this one conversation right like everybody's like oh when did you get the talk and it's like well maybe it was multiple talks or maybe it was something that just kind of set someone up to have um, comfortable conversations so for instance a lot of times people will have conversations with children early on about like what are spots that people shouldn't touch? Or these are your private parts. You shouldn't be touching them in public, like those types of things. Um, so just having those conversations and just normalizing that is helpful. Making sure that children know the right names for their body parts, because so often, especially in the Black community, we give nicknames to everything. And it's important that children know the proper names for their body parts. So there's a lot of resources for parents and guardians, um, especially through sex positive families. So um, Melissa focuses specifically on parents and how to have those conversations. But also, I think it's important to remember that, you know, a lot of times there's multiple trusted adults in people's lives. And so it might not be that people feel or children feel comfortable, you know, talking to their parents, but maybe they feel comfortable talking to their cousin or their aunt or their older sister. So it's like preparing everyone in that family to have those conversations and kind of normalizing it. Um, Cause I wouldn't say I necessarily grew up with like the talk. Like it was, I don't know, we, we had conversations kind of like about periods, but not a lot of stuff. Um, and I think a lot of times parents leave it up to the school system and you learn about stuff for a week or a day and you hope that you got the information you need. And most of the time, if you are learning about it, like say for instance, in ninth grade, well, what do you really remember by the time you're 30 or by the time you're 25? So that's why it's important to have these conversations and create a space where people can have ongoing conversations. I love that. It's like continuing education. And that's popular in pretty much every major field that you, you know, continue to learn and brush up on your knowledge. So what does it actually mean to be sex positive? Yeah, I think to be sex positive, it means to actually focus on all different sexual identities and embracing that, right? So we always use the term in sex ed, don't yuck someone else's yum. So if it's something that's not harmful to another individual, don't necessarily like yuck it just because they like it. Um, now, for that, that means embracing different identities. It could be different kinks, different fetishes, but just knowing that people have the autonomy and the agency to participate in the different activities they see fit, to be in the different relationships that they see fit for themselves, and just learning more about that um, and not necessarily shunning it. 
So I came across a, a question that I wanted to to kind of get your idea on because I've heard some people say that like they're abstinent and that was good for, you know, them to take a break from sex. And other people say, no, like sex is a part of my, my wellness routine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get your take on sex and how people should look at it as a part of, you know, their, their regular, you know, day-to-day lives. Yeah. So I think obviously like it's not a one size fits all. So for some people, sex is a part of their wellness routine and they want sex weekly or monthly or maybe daily, like, you know, Um, so that's important to recognize. So I think the most important thing is knowing yourself. So for some people abstaining from sex for months or years can help them have clarity in other areas of their life. So it's important to know what sex does for you and maybe the reasons why you desire sex. So are you desiring it to be in a relationship with someone else? Are you desiring it to fulfill another void? Are you desiring it just for, you know, pleasure purposes? So just really understanding that about yourself is important. And then also realizing like, just because you are abstaining from sex, that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to abstain from masturbation. So some people do one or not the other or both. And so just, you know, taking the time to realize what does sex mean for you and knowing that solo sex is also an option um, is important. But I don't think there's a one size fit all wellness model um, for sex and for, you know, women in general. I want to go down a little bit and talk. Oh, my gosh, that sounded so weird. I want to go down the road of what you were talking about a little bit where you said about pleasure. And I've heard of this term called like the orgasm gap about basically um, heterosexual women not often, you know, having orgasms. So why is that? Can you talk more about that? Is it true? Yeah, so it's definitely true. So heterosexual women have less orgasms than bisexual women and lesbian women. So research has shown that. And that continues throughout their lifespan. So it's not just like this is in their 20s, this is in their 30s, 40s. No, like compared to lesbian, bisexual women, this continues. Um, And I think part of that So one thing I did a research study uh, with Dr. Ashley Towns, and we saw that the orgasm gap for heterosexual Black women kind of closed for those that were 50. So something about whatever the boomers are doing is is working for them and their orgasms are almost even with their male partners. Um, And so part of that, I think, is like as a society, we're often putting the male's uh, the male's orgasm first, right? So it's like this, everything is like penis-centered and that doesn't have to be the case. Um, I think a lot of times we may see with people that are in their 50s, maybe they're in more committed relationships or they've been in a relationship with this person longer. So they might be able to know their partner's body and their partner knows their body. So it makes it easier for them to have orgasms. Um, So, for example, in a research study that I did with Dr. Candace Hargons called the Big Sex Study, um, we saw that people that were in longer term relationships had more pleasure than those that were not. So that single Black women actually reported less pleasure than those that were in relationships. And so that could be just not being with partners who, one, care about our orgasms in that way, or two, not being not being familiar with our own bodies and able to articulate that to our male partners. And so communication is really important in in closing the orgasm gap, knowing your body and being aware of what it takes for you to have an orgasm is a part of that. But then also too, like, 
I think sometimes the hardest part about having an orgasm is sometimes we focus so much on it. And so we're in our head so much during sex that when it's not happening, it's like, well, what's going on? Like, what's wrong with me? And so sometimes it's just, you know, learning to relax through that process um, could be an important key to closing that gap as well. But also sleeping with people that care about you, like have sex with people that care about your orgasms, because otherwise, what's the point? (laughs) So, okay, so how can, as far as like, you know, learning what's pleasurable to you, how can people get more comfortable with their bodies and and learning what they like? Yeah, Um, mirror work, that's important. So that's one thing my mom instilled in me, which I don't think she knew that's what she was doing when I was younger. Like, I think it was framed more around the sense of like, take a mirror, hold it to your vulva. So you know, like what it looks like, first of all, but also she was related to more like using tampons. But I'm like, oh, I should know what it looks like, right? So I think that's important. So many women don't know what their own vulva looks like. And so just taking a mirror, looking at it, also doing mirror work in general with your entire body. So getting used to your your body image and you know actually embracing yourself and your body is important um I always say like I always give resources for books so um, one of my favorite books to help with this is uh Pussy Prayers by Black Girl Bliss and so um that's a very important um, book. And so in that book, they go over different things that can help with um, foods that can help with like hygiene or um, manif- uh, affirmations, you could say to yourself, um, relating to your vulva, but also just pleasure worthiness in general. Um, and then I think also too just removing some of the shame that's around masturbation. I feel like in Black communities, there's a lot of shame around masturbation, especially if you're religious, right? So if you masturbate, you're magically going to die. Um, so like, that's not not the case obviously I'm still living um, so just making sure that you know people are unlearning these messages about about sex and the sexual shame that I feel like a lot of black women carry around that was placed on us and that we didn't necessarily place on ourselves okay you touched on so many different things that I want to talk about I don't even know where to go one um I just recently watched Sex, Love, and Goop on Mm. Netflix, and they did like a whole mirror, I guess like kind of two different mirror work exercises. And I think the show like really started to change in my mind, even how I viewed sex in general. So can you talk about some of the misconceptions that we have around sex? But I want to go back to that religion point too. Yeah. So I think some of the misconceptions we have about sex, especially like growing up is that it's just like pee down vaginal intercourse like if it's not penetrative sex then did you really have sex or it's oral sex and so we forget things such as touch or things such as foreplay or um, how that may count for sex or even like hand jobs and things like that like those are things that we saw so in the research study with Dr. Ashley Towns we saw that as people got older as black women got older they were participating in less like oral sex and and um, vaginal sex but more more interested in like hand jobs and fingering and kissing and touching like that was their sex to them and so I think throughout our life we are constantly redefining what sex means for us Um, and I think too often we're like feeling pressure to to just focus on what sex means as a larger society, but sitting down and actually thinking, well, what does sex mean for me? Like, what does, what counts as sex for me is really important. Okay, so a couple of times you have talked about like these generational differences with sex. And I know, I mean, my audience has always been like black women. And I've like, remember hearing like the older aunties talk about, I ain't never doing that. 
So what are these like generational kind of perspectives that we have on sex and like what's a no-no, what we can do, what we can try? Can you talk about that? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when I hear those reactions from older Black women, it relates to like oral sex. They're like, no, nah, I ain't doing that. That's gross. And it's like, is it? <laughs> so I think that's most of the time when I've heard those conversations is around that. Um, the other conversations that I've heard are more related to like respectability politics. So like you need to dress a certain way or you need to look cer- a certain way. Or, you know, I grew up in North Carolina, so I was definitely in the Bible Belt. So like I wasn't supposed to wear red to red to church and I couldn't wear red lipstick and nail polish because that made you a whore. So, you know, now I just like to do it to irritate my grandma. Um, but <laughs> but I think um I think some of those messages, like I said, are a result of religion, but I think also some of those messages are that they didn't talk about sex openly enough. Like, I'm pretty sure there's someone in the 70s, like that is 70 and 80 that gave oral sex. It's not a whole generational thing where y'all are just like, no, we're not doing it, you know, but those people that did, they shunned them versus for us, we're more open to having these conversations and being more sex positive in those ways. But there are definitely people, you know, that are 60, 70, 80, 90, who are like the pioneers of the sex positive movement and definitely, you know, had these positive experiences and were open and felt sexually liberated. And so too often, I think we overlook them. Um, One thing I think that's happening now, luckily, is that I feel like older people kind of feel like they have a safer space to talk about sex because of our generation being so open. But I think that means that younger people have to be open to talking to older people about sex. And sometimes we aren't. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's gross. Like, why would you think about that? But I hope like when I'm 80, I'm having sex. So why wouldn't I want to talk to them about that? Um, So I think it's important just to create a space for everyone to have these conversations over generations, because a lot of times people wish they could have, but didn't have the space to do so. So everyone listening, your next task is to talk to your granny about sex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm glad you touched on religion. I'm someone who was kind of raised, not necessarily by my parents, it was just in the school environments that I was in, um, in a like purity culture. And I'm like deconstructing a lot of that crap now so can you talk about how religion and spirituality um influence our sexual behavior our thoughts about sex all of that yeah so I grew up Baptist I still do consider myself Baptist um but a flexible Baptist um so (laughs) so um you know growing up I think those are the things I heard like you don't masturbate because it's shameful and that's wrong you should never do it you should definitely not have Um, premarital sex, right? Like that's wrong. You should never do it. But half of the people in the church had done it. And so I think it's one of those things of having more realistic conversations about sex and who is doing it. And like, why are you telling someone else not to do it? Is it because of religion or is it because of your own feelings and experiences with premarital sex? Like having those conversations are important. I think also with religion, it often tries to put Black women into boxes, right? So like where Black men make all of the decisions or, you know, whether it be like head of household or, you know, there's a a male preacher in the pulpit that's telling women what they should be doing with their bodies. Um, And so that obviously 
that obviously creates like these barriers and the shame, right? So if you've been told all your life, you should not do this, you should not do that. And then you go off to college all of a sudden and it's like, everybody around me is doing this. And then you feel liberated and then you go back home and it's like, no, you shouldn't. So I think it's, I think it's finding yourself in that. So how you're kind of talking about the unlearning that you have to do. I think that's an ongoing process. Um, I think it's an ongoing process of unlearning some of the shame that results of religion. I will say people that are religious do report more um, sexual shame and guilt, especially Black teenagers and Black teen girls. But then we also see that they expect sex to be less pleasurable. So like for those that are more religious, they're like, I don't expect sex to be pleasurable. And it's like, well, wow, that's terrible. So the first time you have sex or anytime you have sex, you're like, I don't think it's supposed to be pleasurable. So you're just doing it, Right. So it's kind of it's kind of almost like they don't know their pleasure worthiness or that pleasure is their birthright. And I want more people, especially Black women, to to know that because we're in a space where a lot of times um, people are telling us the opposite and, and not prioritizing our pleasure and not and not prioritizing our pleasure, but prioritizing our strength. Pleasure is your birthright. I love that. It's a new yeah. affirmation. I'm going to start saying it. Listen, I'm telling y'all, go get that book, Pussy Prayers. It's a whole bunch of affirmations in there. I feel like it's at least 40. Like Everybody order it tonight. <laughs> but no, you really made me think because I'm, I'm, you know, like within your like girlfriends, like I, I feel like we talk about sex, which I think is also important that we kind of have those conversations within our friends. But like, I've had a friend who was like, yeah, it's just sex. Like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like pretty, you know, like, yeah, like, do you like it? Do you not like it? And so when you say that, like, we really don't like prioritize our pleasure or, you know, like we're kind of just taught to just go with it. Like, I think, you know, we really need to change our mindset around that and kind of like prioritize ourselves when it comes to sex. And not, I feel like a lot of times, like you mentioned before, Chanel, it's like the in heterosexual relationships it's all about like the male ego but I think a lot of this is kind of stems from the porn industry can you talk about maybe how like the porn industry kind of has impacted like how we think sex should go especially like when it pertains to women mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so with so one I think like people need to realize like pornography is a performance right so unfortunately a lot of times pornography is our first teacher as it relates to sex to sex ed and sex in general so you have all these expectations you see this porn, you're like yep that's what it's gonna look like that's what it's gonna feel like that's what it's gonna sound like and then you have sex and it, and it doesn't sound like that it doesn't look like that and it doesn't feel like that um and so I think remembering that like pornography is a performance right so it's there to serve a purpose um but but sex doesn't always feel that way or look that way um and I think we don't have conversations about that enough um I think pornography can be a useful tool for people to figure out what they might want to try with a partner or just might want to try in general or things that they may like um but I think also we have to be realistic about like how all bodies are different right so sometimes it's rare that you'll see pornography with someone who may have a physical disability or rare that you would see someone that may have a chronic pain disorder or you know just oftentimes all vulvas look the same in pornography and it's like wait mine doesn't look like that so also these things can affect your body image as well so just 
just using porn as a useful tool, whether it be to help with like masturbation, but also to get new ideas of what you might want to try, but also realizing like porn isn't necessarily reality and it definitely shouldn't be um, our first introduction into sex, but too often it is. And so that kind of just taints us about like what we think it should look like. And then when it doesn't look like that, it's like, well, what did I do wrong? Nothing. <laughs> like your sex just doesn't look like that and that's okay. I also want to talk about um, the LGBTQIA plus community and how sometimes even as allies, we can stigmatize. And I think the porn industry is a big part of that as well. But how do we create safe spaces for our brothers and sisters in that um, realm to feel safe and sex positive? Yeah, I think if anything, sometimes they're showing us the way like I think we're showing us them the way to be sex positive, right? So I'm someone that identifies as queer. And so I think often in the community, when I look around, like these are the people that are teaching heterosexual people how to be sex positive, right? In many ways, they have been, they have a history of being sex positive. Like when I think about books that I read about Black feminism and Black queer feminism, it's a lot of erotica up in there. Like, so there's a lot of sex positive work that has been done related to that. Um, I think, you know, that's why we see that the orgasm gap is smaller for lesbian women and bisexual women, right? Because they're prioritizing pleasure, because they're redefining what sex means for them, because they're taking the time to learn their partner's bodies, because there may be less shame in those relationships than maybe in heterosexual relationships. And so I think if anything, you know, heterosexual people could take take the time to learn from people, you know, that identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community, um, just to see like, you know, what are they doing? How do they unlearn certain things? Um, especially when you're someone that has multiple marginalized identities, like you feel like oftentimes society is out and out to get you, or like there's all these different stressors that you have, but at some point they've learned to release those things and be more sex positive. And so I think you know, that's an opportunity possibly for heterosexual people to um, embrace their identities and embrace embrace their identities and then realize like when you're being an ally and when you're not. Because sometimes I love the term ally and sometimes I hate it because I think sometimes people are self-proclaimed allies. And it's like, can you really be an ally if someone a part of the community didn't tell you you were an ally? Like then you just self-proclaim. So you could be doing more harm than good. So definitely, you know, just people encouraging people to check themselves on that as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Can you tell people listening where they can find you and connect with you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Shamika. That's S-H-E-M-E-K-A. And then my website is drshamika.com. This week, we're going to share some amazing affirmations from our guest, Dr. Shamika, as well as Dr. Ashley Towns. The affirmations are, pleasure is my birthright. I am deserving of pleasure. I release negative thoughts and feelings towards my body. I love my body and how it has changed over time. I release sexual shame. I embrace new forms of pleasure in every aspect of my life. Thanks, Dr. Shamika, for joining us. Girlies, go get busy. And until next time, this has been Pretty Political.